This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Welcome everyone to another episode of O Ship, the podcast where we dive into the turbulent waters of entrepreneurship, uncovering the truth behind the world of business and innovation. I'm your host, and today I'm absolutely thrilled to bring you a very captivating conversation that's all about unmasking the deception and finding the authenticity in an industry riddled with marketing myths and misdirection. We're pulling back the curtain of the fitness industry, exploring how the allure of marketing often obscures the genuine truth about fitness and delving into one company's quest to change that narrative. Our guest today is Bruce Smith, the CEO and founder of Hydro, a company that bringing the unparalleled experience of on-water rowing into our living rooms. Bruce is not quite a first-time entrepreneur, but maybe the building a business at a scale might be a first-time experience with him. But he's got an incredibly rich heritage in the sport of rowing. From his days as a championship rower to coaching the U.S. national team to making rowing possible for all, Bruce's entire life has basically been around this singular passion. And today he's here to share with us his journey a journey of a startup that has raised over $300 million, a journey of early marketing missteps and course correction, and a journey of steadfast commitment to authenticity. We're going to learn about his challenges and triumphs in his entrepreneurial adventure. We're going to pick up some incredible, valuable insights in the industry, and we're going to learn how he's managed to bring his love for rowing into the world through Hydro. So buckle up, get ready for a deep dive as we row into the currents of truth, deceptional authenticity, and the world of fitness. And with that, let's get started. Bruce, welcome to O'Ship. How are you? Hey, Freddie. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for the very kind introduction. <laughs> well, uh, from what I can make tell, my life sound exciting. Well, well, yeah, well how'd you, how'd you And I have been really excited. You know, it's funny, you and I met over something really random. I think it was I was giving a reference on somebody. And we ended up chatting and you're such an interesting and cool guy. And I was very honored that you're willing to hop on our ship with us today. So I've got so many questions I want to ask you, but I think we should start with some of the basics, you know, as I was digging into your really interesting background, you have a whole kind of lineage in the rowing world and obviously a deep personal history there. Can you share a little bit about how your past and even your ancestors have kind of influenced your vision for hydro? I know it's kind of a funny story and I, I tried really hard to quit rowing for like a number of times. and <laughs> I didn't realize I it was such an addiction that. problem. No. Yeah, no. And I really, I felt like Al Pacino, you know, I just keep getting sucked back in. And so I started rowing in college at McGill. It kind of started consuming my whole life. I didn't start until my second year, which was great because I got to actually experience some college before I started getting up at five in the morning to go row in Montreal and tried really hard to make the national team in Canada and Canadian. And I'd never made the team. Um, I didn't even really come that close, I, I have to say, but I did try really hard. And then I got involved in coaching and it just started to snowball. So I coached, you know, kids in high school in Chicago and then some master's rowers, then at Dartmouth. And then I went on to 
coach at the club level and I got involved with the national team and we went to trials and I won trials in the United States 10 times with boats and we would go and compete and represent the United States at the world championship. So it became this definitely, it was definitely a thing. And eventually I just gave up and I was like, okay, I'm not going to get out. So I found a way to integrate it and I started working at a rowing club actually full time. So it seems like it paid off for you. So I'm not a rower. I've watched it a bunch of times. So I find the sport fascinating. There's this reference in the rowing world to this concept of swing that I see keep coming up over and over as I kind of dug into it. But assuming that someone who's listening or watching to a ship right now doesn't know something about that, could you talk a little bit about what your know, swing is? And then as someone who has experienced this kind of your know, swing of rowing in its purest form, how did you end up trying to translate that into a digital platform like Hydro. Yeah, there is this thing. So rowers don't talk about it. Rowers are nonverbal. When you learn how to row, you are told very specifically, be quiet. You're not allowed to talk. So you pay attention and the coxswain is the only person in the boat who's allowed to talk. But there have been a few people who have articulated it really well and all rowers feel it. And in fact, human beings are hardwired. We love to do things together. And the more together they are, the more we love them. And it's something, MIT did a meta-study. There's a really strong scientific fact for it. Armies have known this for a millennium. Why do people march places? Because, you know, you get a lot farther when you march together. Rowing is this amazing experience. It is like scratching an itch that you didn't know you had on the inside of your tummy. Because you're actually moving, like, suspended in space, suspended in liquid, and moving your whole center of mass every part of your body in the same exact rhythm as another human being. And it has this multiplying effect. So you feel not like yourself, but like you've got this strength of eight souls working with you. It is amazing. And it's not something that rowers are wired to talk about, but it definitely exists. And in my role, you know, working at this nonprofit and coaching people, I had to develop some words around it. And honestly, it was the seed for hydro because it was taking that experience. And I think all really great digital products have their origin in an amazing analog experience. And it was taking a tiny bit of that experience, a percentage of that experience that you have out on the water, that splash and sweat and synchronicity and delivering that literally like into people's living rooms. That was our goal. And so, you know, you're not a marketer by trade, you're kind of a natural businessman who's passionate about the sport. You start building this product. You've been doing it for how many years now? Have you been at this? Five. Five years. Whatever I said. Wow. So you start kind of building this product five years ago. You're now starting to market it for the first time. But what have you learned about marketing a product like this as you've brought it to the masses? It is so many things that I have learned not to do. (laughs) Just truly a list as long as my arm. I never understood the phrase, oh, don't raise too much money. I now understand that phrase. I know what that means. So we had this opportunity to build a hardware product, which is pretty, you know, it's pretty rare. You don't get to build hardware very often because it's something Henry Ford famously said, if he asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses and instead he built cars. And so we were in kind of that position. Nobody really said like, hey, I want this new, incredibly beautiful, quiet rowing machine. We just knew that we had to build something that deserved to be in your living room. And we built it incredibly fast. We started with a blank sheet of paper in January of 2018. And in 2019, we were in 100 people's homes with a finished product. And 
It was the software, the hardware, and the content that we developed in parallel. Putting that together into a package and selling it, the first thing that our marketing team did was, you know, that they saw a rowing machine and so they sold a rowing machine. And that's not what people were buying. They were actually buying an experience. There's a subscription and we really do put you out on the water. So you have this amazing immersive experience and it's incredibly difficult to sell an experience. And so it's, it's as if this happens, it still happens over and over again. People get hydro and about three workouts in, they write to us and they say, oh my God, I love this. I had no idea. <laughs> At which point I pound a nail into my forehead because I've been, you know, trying to explain to people, no, you're getting this experience. It's immersive. So it's iterating on that process and trying to convey that there is this really compelling Zen whole body and soul experience where you get nature and water and synchronicity and other humans and you're doing this thing together from your home and it's not a dance party in your living room it is a zen experience that is transportive and conveying that you know in a 10 second ad or a 15 second bumper on youtube like as, it's as hard a work. CMO, uh, hard. type that's quite the challenge i agree yeah exactly right not only have you got the challenge of how do you nail that down but I think you're also working against the competition, whether they're in the rowing space, far more likely, frankly, the million other types of ways that people might be looking to you know, get healthier. And there's a lot of rubbish out there. There's a lot of dodgy claims. There are a lot of, whether that's product claims, shifty marketing, psychological things that people try and do to people from body shaming to FOMO to all the other different ways that marketing bluntly is trying to manipulate us. I think that it goes to an extreme sometimes when it comes to health, weight loss, and fitness more broadly. How does hydro try and not fall into that trap? Yeah, the landscape is a nightmare. I had the same experience getting started in rowing where I was happy to volunteer at the local rowing club. So I've, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time and I love starting businesses and I've done real estate and it's really fun. And I worked at this nonprofit for 10 years, but actually devoting myself to this idea of rowing professionally was hard because it's like a pastime. It's not a vocation. And when I look around the industry in, in health and fitness, it's just the claims people make and the science that they don't use. It is frankly shocking. You want to um, air quote science when you say it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's really the, the uh, science so, they use. So take yourself back to college and think about the physical education department and think about the people in that department. So they were there because they wanted to play sports and it was fun. And their idea of doing a study to get their final, you know, degree, they would study 12 people like their friends that they would corral into the quote unquote lab and they would study them for eight bouts of training. And then they would make a determination on some kind of recommendation that you should be doing. Well, you should stretch more. Ballistic stretching is wrong. Or, oh, high intensity interval training is the best kind of training in the world. And that's the only thing you should be doing. Or, oh, your aerobic system is really defined by the base. And, you know, you need to build capillaries. And that's the only thing you should be doing. You don't have to worry about all the other systems. And so just the scientific backbone, there isn't a lot of money or there hasn't been a lot of money. And unbelievably barren landscape in terms of people's understanding of how you achieve whole health. And that is starting to change. And I had a ringside seat because I was coaching at this elite level and I had to get 
these athletes who weren't at the elite level to the elite level, like I was living it, you know? So I read all the studies and we pursued the fads. There was one season, these poor young people that I was coaching, I was like, okay, on Monday, we're going to take one stroke as hard as we can take it. And on Tuesday, we're going to take 10 strokes. And on Wednesday, we're going to take a hundred strokes. And on Thursday, we're going to row a full race. And we're going to do that seven weeks in a row. And I know we're going to win the championship because we've done this. And of course it was completely just, <laughs> you know, radically mistaken. And I see that in these, honestly, in these billion dollar companies, like people are peddling that kind of BS and side note that those are in fact my initials, but the- You're on the podcast called you know, Ship. you're in a safe place. Don't worry. <laughs> no, right. It was actually, it was the name of the, of the podcast. I was like, oh, please, please let me on this podcast. So we're on a mission. We're on a mission from God to deliver something that you can, you know, when you buy something from Hydro, you get it. And it is the Hydro High give us five minutes, give us 20 minutes, you will get an amazing endorphin rush from doing great exercise. That is what you will get. And we're not promising six pack abs. We're not promising anything like that. Over time, the product is going to continue to evolve and improve. But the opportunity here is there's just huge white space in fitness and health in general. You look at supplements, you look at all of the different components that people are outselling. It's honestly, it's a travesty. And I think that the, you know, the companies that are going to win are the ones that do understand what the North Star is and who never break their promise. Mm. And that's certainly what we're striving to. You uh, certainly don't project that you're out there trying to show anything. Recently, I started taking these supplements about six months ago. I was told to make me a much better podcast host. And I really not noticed any difference at all. It's amazing, and, isn't it? No, no. And, but you know what? I'll tell you something, Freddie, it's your fault because you should have taken them at 7am, but you were taking them at random times through the day. So it's typical. actually, if you just followed their directions, I, you know, the directions. I, mean, I should probably buy more. Yeah. yeah and then I, yeah, no, no. And, and you should buy, no, we have a new one and it's slightly improved and it costs a little more, but it's well worth it. And it also, it comes with like a subscription. Free subscription well. model. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right. It just dawned on me, by the way, I think that this might be the first nautically themed guest I've had on my naughty, nautically themed show. Oh, no, wait, you're, you're naughty, naughty. Yeah, themed this is where full, yeah. like the, the water, <laughs> right. the bubbles makes everything. If, yeah. Of course, no one actually sinks on a hydro, which is, is good. So yeah, no, no, they don't sink. <laughs> I don't know. I would be happy if we could make you sink. I have sunken <laughs> True before. immersion. I think I've just yeah, no, no, on I've, the, uh, the 2.0 version. Like bottom. you don't pedal enough, you start seeing it go down. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like immersion <laughs> at a level. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you were talking a second ago, you mentioned kids that you're working with. As I was reading your background, I saw that you were involved with a youth fitness group focusing on underserved youth called the Lincoln Park Juniors. Is that correct? And yeah. you know, I'd love to hear yeah. more about that and just in general. I think trying to reach un underserved youth is amazing. So I'd love to hear if you guys have future plans to expand on that as well. Yeah, for sure. Lincoln Park is super cool. And a woman named Frances Manone was the head coach there. And I hired Frances from Cincinnati and brought her to Chicago. That's and awesome. we raised a small salary and she worked her fingers to the bone to get this project off the ground. And we have two boathouses in Chicago. They're on the Chicago River in the North Basin just by North Avenue. And they were the first new boathouses on the Chicago River. And now this is so cool. It's wild. The city has invested 
in building boathouses. There's one down at 18th Street, which is beautiful. And none other than Jeannie Gang designed a boathouse on the North Branch. And she's obviously a super famous architect who just did the big thing in New York City for the Natural Museum, or Museum of Natural Science. And it's a stunningly beautiful building. So it's transformative. I worked at Community Rowing here in Boston for 10 years. And it's just a truth. If you take a kid from anywhere, it doesn't matter, and teach them how to swim and put them in a boat, they have an incredibly high chance of going to college. And that is just a super cost-efficient way. So when you compare the cost of a rowing program after school for a year, it's like, you know, four or $5,000. It is the cheapest and most effective intervention for helping kids get out of a cycle that they may be trapped in. So it's a tremendous tool. And I think it goes directly to those things that we talked about at the beginning. So you're a high school kid, you know, without a lot of structure in your life, without a lot of direction. And then you come down and you experience this amazing connection with other human beings and it gets stronger the more you commit to it. And so they have this visceral and experience of what it means to be, I would say like well-socialized, you know, like how to engage in a team in the most productive way. And we would say all the time, and I think it's true that rowing is the most teamly sport. You know, like if you move your elbow, like in one of the national team boats that I would be coaching, if somebody like wiggled their elbow around, everybody else in the boat would be like, stop moving your elbow. You have to move it like everybody else, like really work together. Like it's an actual thing. Don't talk, work together, demonstrate with your actions, and we will win the race. If that's not the most compelling I think, overall story for it how makes to It makes sense, things. though. You described earlier this kind of like going into the Zen-like state to help you find you, first your inner peace, which is super important to find yeah. your focus in life. You've got the sense of the teammanship and being a participant in a team where you're actually, said, you know, to your point, don't talk, listen. I'm sure where they're training them, everyone kind of takes their turn, maybe being the speakers, people different, you know, learn how to play these roles. And then it makes for good colleagues in the future. So a great segue. So thank you for that. I wanted to get into more of your kind of entrepreneurial background, your style as a leader. So, you know, when you take your journey of being a championship type, you know, rower, you've been a coach of a national team, how have those experiences and that journey you've had there impacted the way that you operate as an entrepreneur and a leader? I think the lessons are very similar. It's worth noting that our first funder, Dick Cashin, himself is an Olympian, and he specifically seeks out rowers. I think he has, at last count, seven people in his office who rowed on the national team and have earned medals at the Olympics, and he chooses those people because they understand that we win and lose together, and they work incredibly hard, and they share a common purpose. And that overall experience. I think the biggest thing you can do with coaching, I think it's exciting from a mass market perspective too, with what's happening around big data and AI. The opportunity to personalize feedback is really, really powerful. So when you're working with a team, so everybody on the water is working, you know, in exactly the same cadence, with exactly the same motion and rhythm. And then when they get off the water, the inputs that they need are really different. Some people are information hounds. They need tons of information. Other people need to know only the things they were doing wrong. And they need to be told directly like, hey, you're doing this wrong and this wrong. And then they go fix it and they're very happy. Other people really need positive reinforcement. And it's that personalization and the ability to recognize where people are at and then contribute to a common goal. I think it's really fun. And honestly, 
I miss coaching a lot. I haven't been on the water since I started hydro, but the team that I work with here, it's a little bit like trying to make the Olympics. Same stakes too. You know, it's like, it's a big deal. It's what everybody is dedicating the most hours of their life towards mm. right now. I have to admire that. Now that we kind of have a sense of how you maybe are thinking about being an entrepreneur and a leader, you talked about how maybe not to raise a lot of money was one of your big lessons. So I'd actually love to go back and explore that a little bit. Obviously, I think when someone's looking from the outside in and they start seeing someone who's raised in excess of $300 million, you can imagine a downside to something like that. I raised a little bit of money here or there, and I know there are some downsides, but I'd love to hear your point of view on how that can go wrong or maybe how that went wrong specific for Hydro, because I know there's a lot of people listening or watching right now who'd love to learn from that. It is so crazy. I've been rich in my life. I've been poor in my life. I feel super lucky because I, I understand like I have been really poor where I haven't been able to afford a cup of coffee for a few years, like really up against it and had to work my way out of it. And I've also been in a position where I didn't have to work at all. And I had tons of money in the bank and with companies in particular, we are going to do a spec and we had literally, I got probably like 75 or hundred offers. I'm not exaggerating to do a spec. And the promise was we'll put $300 million in your pocket and you'll be public and it'll be great. And even if it causes some headwinds initially, because the company is relatively young and immature, it's okay because you'll be able to buy your way out of it. And we walked right up to the line of that. We did all the public company work. We did all the auditing, spent money, you know, with KPMG and Deloitte and $5 million to get all of the paperwork done and the internal controls in place. And I had probably 70 or 80 meetings with potential sponsors, but it was at the same time that this back market was cratering. So we were sort of racing the clock and we were so fortunate we didn't go forward. So we got to that point. We hired, you know, madly through the pandemic. So we went from 100 to 200 people in the course of six months. And then, you know, January rolled around and we were like, oh, shoot, we're not going to do this. So instead of raising $300 million, we raised 50. And that still wasn't enough of a kick in the teeth. It was still like a decent amount of money. And we were still spending $15 million a month on marketing. And then we realized, oh, it's actually going to be really hard to raise more money. And that was the point where we had to say, okay, we, you know, we're super fortunate. We have this amazing position. We have a leadership position in our market, but it's not going to continue to grow. And our marketing CAC, some months would be like over a thousand dollars and for a $2,500 product. So it's not in the biz that can't cost an acquisition. So if you get a customer. That is hard to make money on a unit. <laughs> yeah. No, no. In the fullness of time, we would, of course, make money, but money has a different value now than it used to yeah. because of interest rates. Yeah. So the net result was we had to peel everything way back and, and just go back to basics and say, okay, how much of this traffic are we buying through blunt force marketing? And how much of this traffic are we earning because we are a great product with a passionate customer base? And we realized that actually the machine we needed to build was not the one that we had because we had all this money and we were papering over the cracks. We weren't building an organic marketing machine that earned its traffic. We were building a machine that relied exclusively on the supply of cheap venture capital. Yeah. And there are a lot of businesses like that you know, buy now, pay later businesses, Uber, like you name it, like everybody was out there buying customers at an enormous rate for unreasonable prices and having the opportunity or just, I can't emphasize how lucky we were because we have this big install base and we have good ARR and a product people love, we have permission to keep playing and we got a chance to go back and rebuild the whole team. So literally 
we went back and we said to this team, you're not the right people for this environment. And we did a big riff and we removed that entire operation. I just feel so incredibly lucky that we got to peel the layer back and say, okay, that entire team, as I said, is gone. And we have an entirely different team that we are building from the ground up. And we are earning every single customer and every sale that we make is profitable. And that's the new world we're in. So if we didn't have that opportunity to peel those layers back and rebuild, say somebody had handed me that giant you know, bag of gold bars for $300 million, I would have spent it all. And I would have ended up with an organization that had a great ability to spend money mm. and we wouldn't have had any more money. We'd be in a much, much worse position because we'd have six or 700 employees mm. and we wouldn't have any of that organic base mm. that we need to sustain a hundred year business, which is what we're building. So we're super, super, super fortunate. And that story about too much money, like that's what too much money can do. I think this is also one of the dangers that's existing right now is that even you know wildly successful entrepreneurs, if they haven't been through a downturn before, we just came off one of the, you know, if not one of the longest bull run in certainly in our lifetimes. And it was like, as I've joked a lot with people over the last you know, couple of years, I felt like you could just like throw a rock in any direction. If you kind of knew what you're doing, you could make money on it. And so I think people started getting too confident in that kind of environment. It felt like, you know, that you see these companies like Uber, you know, as you mentioned, you just getting insane amounts of money, almost like just buying that future market, knowing they're going to lose tremendous amounts of money in the short term. And that is not the reality of the world that we live in right now. And so I think, you know, people are doing these kind of course corrections is smart. It's prudent. And I think, you know, for people out there who might be listening or watching their ship right now that are entrepreneurs in the earlier startup phase, you won't even get an opportunity to go through the hydro phase, in my opinion, because I think that the investors that we're talking to every day, at the, especially at the early stage VC phase, they want provable ideas and they want people getting to profitable revenue as quickly as humanly possible. And it won't be just you buying your way into these customer bases because Actually, a lot of that traffic that Hydro was able to get to, and I, I don't want to speak directly for you, so I should say companies like Hydro and what we were seeing through all the different interim leadership roles we've been doing at Camille and Collective was that traffic was cheap. You could buy these audiences really inexpensively, and that world also doesn't exist anymore, or certainly not as widespread as it was before. So really having these authentic connections with your customer and a product that people really love Shocking. I know it sounds obvious, but you'd be surprised at how many products are not loved and they find a way to still cram them down people's throats and make fairly good businesses out of them. I'd love to know, you know, digging into this a little bit more, if there was anything that you could go back in time to kind of, you know, hydro year one and change, what would you do differently? This is pre SPAC world and all of that, just kind of really early days of hydro maybe through the lens of giving this advice to a year one entrepreneur or startup venture? Yeah, year one was kind of perfect. It <laughs> was year two. <laughs> year one was really, really fun. We had a super clear directive and it was go faster. Yeah. You're going to win our phrase. So in rowing races, you win, you know, the length of the boat is a, sort of one of the measures by how much you can win. And at Henley, they say, you know, ahead by three quarters of a length. We knew we were going to win by a bow ball, which is four inches, not by a deck, which is about five feet. 
And so everything was designed around go faster. We had a super clear directive. And honestly, we only started to make, I would say, I won't say mistakes, I will say learnings. You know, we started to learn a lot when we started to spend money on marketing. And it's one of those things where, you know, we had a marketing plan and we spent $250,000 on a launch event and nothing happened, Mm. you know, because we had $250,000 to spend on a launch event. And I I flew to Miami and I had a party in Boston and I felt very important. And somebody took a couple pictures and we were in one social page in one town and nothing happened. The marketing team was like, well, it's because it's not enough. Actually, what we needed to do is spend a million (laughs) dollars and we need a PR company. And we had this idea that we were building a mass market product and we needed to get out there with a mass market amount of money. And actually what you really need to do is get great at scrappy marketing and prove it every step of the way. I'm still in all of these meetings where people are like, no, no, it's brand spend, it's brand spend. And so there's this like dichotomy between brand spend at the top of the funnel and then following that through an attribution and how do you really manage your performance marketing? It's a false dichotomy. They're incredibly closely related and you have to have a real thesis and proof that you were doing the right things because the truth is you're probably doing the wrong things. How would you know? You've never done it before. Like this is a new product in the world. If it's a real startup, it's something that people haven't seen. So how do you know that what you're doing is resonating? Mm. So start, I would say, start in an incredibly granular way and have a lot of confidence and measure each thing that you're really leaning into. And I kind of bought the bamboozling. You know, I was a first time CEO at this level and I had these amazing, you know, people with tons of experience from like huge companies and they came in and they were going to make our fortune and they were like, no, it's this, no, it's that. And it was actually all just pretend. It was kind of a giant ego trip, honestly. Don't tell my investors. (laughs) Be our secret. No, you're about it, I promise. (laughs) So I have to ask, it would not be O'Ship if I didn't ask you an O'Ship question. You really alluded to some of your lessons throughout this episode, and I really appreciate the transparency and the authenticity and the honesty. I want to dig in a little bit deeper here. And for those of you who've never tuned into Earthship before, one of the things we love to ask all these incredible leaders and entrepreneurs and inspiring people that we have on the show is, you know, is there a moment in your career where things kind of went completely off the rails, near disaster, and you were able to bring things back on track? And then how did that impact you? And some people that might be, it transformed how they performed as a leader and it Maybe it changed the way they interact with other people. Maybe it changed the way that they do business. Maybe it did none of those things, but they averted disaster and it's just really, really, really funny. Maybe not funny then, but really funny now. We don't care. I like any kind of answer I can get, but I love hearing people's oh ship journeys. And with that, I'd love to hear what you've got up your sleeve. First. Yeah, right. So I appreciate the question a lot. And they're, they're like levels, you know, like, so there's like a major one every three or four years and they're like minor ones like every day. And one of my favorite, <laughs> I don't think it's that funny, but it's, it's illustrative. That doesn't um, have to be funny. How about it? Yeah, right. So there's this guy, his name is Tim McLaren. He is one of the top three rowing coaches in the world. I can prove it with numbers, but more than that, he's just a hugely compelling human being. He's just so intelligent and so precise in his coaching. And 
he understands people's motivations at an incredibly high level. And he's got this extraordinary level of performance and he raced at the Olympics. And so he was coaching, he's Australian and they brought him into, he got hired in California to coach. So I went and followed him around a bunch because I wanted to learn how to be a better coach. So he had this way of doing things where he was like, okay, we are going to perform at this level, period. And if we aren't performing at that level, I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to go and try harder to perform at that level. And the stopwatch and the direction and super clear and very direct. And not like, I didn't think it was mean, but it, you know, it was incredibly direct. So I went back, I was in California, I came back, it was November, we were getting ready for speed orders, which is like a time trial for national team. And I had three crews of men out in boats and we were training and I was pretending to be Tim McLaren and I was telling them exactly what was going on. I was like, this is terrible. These times are, and so that went on for like three weeks and I got a call from the board of the rowing club and the, the board called me in and said, yeah, so you're fired. The rowers have come to us and asked you to leave. They're scared to tell you themselves. And so I was like completely blindsided. I was trying to be Tim McLaren and I'm not Tim McLaren and I don't have that kind of authority. Like I had to be me and my way of conveying information is that I present the information and I'm kind about it and we talk about it and then we work away a path forward. I haven't won gold medals at the Olympics yet. And I had to go around. It was so embarrassing. It was ruined my world. But I went around to each rower and I apologized for being an asshole. And I went back to the board and I said, can I please have my job for another three months? I promise I learned. You promise you'll you know, be an asshole for three months. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I promise I won't try to be this incredible asshole. And, and I got my job back and we went to trials. But man, was it a painful, painful lesson. You just got to be who you are and find your style. And my style, unfortunately, is like, you know, I'm Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You know. Canadian makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, right. who doesn't like the Canadians? Let's be real. But of course, I mean, we're just completely yeah. By the way, when yeah. you said I had multiple levels through all the entrepreneurs and leaders I've talked to over the years now doing this, I was like, to me, my instant thought, it's like therapy levels. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> this one, I had to have some long yeah. phone calls with people and like lay down on a couch. Right, yeah. And this was like, I'm at the bar yeah. for, you know, at least an hour at the end of the day. <laughs> This one, no, this one, my wife yeah. is like, I just, you know, this is my wife just heard all yeah. about these ones. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel your pain, man. That was a great story. And again, just really, really honest and open. And I appreciate it. I really enjoyed today's chat, Bruce. How do people want to reach out to you or learn more about you? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I'm not a big Twitter person. My Instagram account is private, but I love to hear from everybody. Email is good. It's just Bruce at hydro.com, but honestly, LinkedIn is very handy. And so you, you can find me there and feel free to reach out. So many people have been kind to me and I feel very compelled to pay it forward if I can be helpful in any way. Here, here. Well said. I feel the exact same way for the record. So thank you everyone for tuning into our ship this week. I really appreciate you listening in. I appreciate you following the show. I appreciate you engaging in the comments and liking and sharing this with your friends on your social feed. That's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you haven't subscribed already, subscribe on whatever platform you're tuning into right now, whether you're listening in through the audio podcast or tuning in through any of the places we stream video from YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook, and so on. Your support means the world to us. We're now well over 100 episodes in. The show is growing every week, and that's because of all the support you guys give us. So thank you for that. It's really appreciated. Bruce, 
Thank you again for being on the show today. Great time. You've got an awesome product with an awesome story. And again, you broke our nautical theme today. It couldn't be more on brand for us and on brand for you guys, except obviously you guys are never below the waterline, thankfully. <laughs> so thank you again for showing up, Bruce. And everyone will see you yeah. next week on our ship. Thank you.